The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Awesome to, awesome privilege it is to share the word with my my people, my home people. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, whatever you happen to use, I invite you to find Joshua chapter six. If you're visiting or maybe you missed last week, we've just launched a brand new series called A New Beginning, and we're just looking at uh, lessons from Israel's entry into the Promised Land, and so it's all about uh, Joshua. So if you find it, just keep your finger in there. In preparing for this morning's message, I've just been reminded again of how in Western life particularly, we don't like the idea of battle. We don't like the idea of waiting. We don't like the idea of striving. It's all about now, now, now. You ever notice that? Your computer loads up too slow, you get frustrated. Your phone crashes, you get frustrated. You can't get your coffee, you get frustrated. You know what I mean? We, we, we hate when things deviate from the plan. And I think we as Christians are no different. Sometimes it's worse. I feel like sometimes we as the church generally struggle when it comes to battle and standing up for Jesus and whatever that looks like. It could be a number of things. And there's a, I find there's a real emphasis on love and mercy and grace. And believe me, that's a good thing but almost to sideswipe the militant aspects of the Christian faith. And I know even as I say that, that might be ticking over in your mind. What what are you talking about, Andrew? The reality, though, is this. If we abandon the militant side of the gospel, the fighting for the faith side of the gospel, the battle element, really what we're doing is we're diluting and we're diminishing the cross. If you stop and think about it. Because the cross wasn't just Jesus saying, hey, I love you, world, I'm going to hang and die for you. Of course it's love, but He came to destroy the power of the grave. He came to destroy sin. And if we just sideswipe that, then we are really changing the gospel message. We're really changing it. If there are things that you and I love as people, as Christians, isn't it true that we'll do what we have to do to protect them? Hate is not the enemy of love. Apathy is the enemy of love. Indifference is the enemy of love. I love Cheryl. I love my kids. I love this church, all sorts of things. I'm going to protect that which is dear to me. And I know you would say the same. And so this idea of battle we may not like, but the honest truth is this. There can be no victory until we've experienced battle, until we've had to actually fight for what we believe in and what is, you know, we fight against the enemy and all of that victory. There's no victory at all. And you think about it, on the sporting field, athletes, sporting teams, they are champions because they are the best. They've proven themselves. If you, uh, you're a farmer, there's no harvest unless you've sown. There's no good grades unless you've studied. There's no bonuses unless you've worked hard. There's no body transformation unless you've put the effort. And everyone who's tried said amen. <laughs> effort and battle go before victory. They just do. So as we open this word this morning, I know we are coming with all kinds of um, challenges, all kinds of battles, all kinds of things in our lives. And for some of you, you might be thinking this morning, God's not there. 
God's forgotten me. I pray that at the end of this, you'll have fresh hope that God has not lifted his eyes from you. I pray that if you're discouraged, you'll walk away knowing that you may well be right in the center of God's will after all. You might have been wondering where it's all at. So with all that said, let's get into the reading. Now, I said Joshua 6. I'm going to ask you just to flick back to 5 verse 13, and then we'll continue on, because this is where the story really starts. So Joshua 5 verse 13, and we'll, we'll read on. Now, when, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now into chapter six, we'll continue on. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And I'll just skip down to verse 16 and then we'll, we'll finish. And so Joshua commanded the army, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you this morning for this amazing story, this amazing account from this book, Lord. Would you just commit it to our hearts, Lord? Would you open the eyes of our understanding this morning as we behold you in your word? Lord, let hope rise from this place today, Lord God. Let fresh vision rise from this place. And let us just realize that you have not neglected your people. You're never going to let us down, Lord God. And so, Lord, may we just see you and see what you want to say to your people today. In your precious name. Amen. So, overcoming God's way. That's what we're looking at today. Overcoming God's way. What is your battle? What is your challenge? And I pray that you'll see that there is a godly way to deal with that. We're going to divide this up really nicely into before the battle, during the battle, and after the battle. So there's three kind of stages, if you like, that we'll work through through this passage. So let's start before the battle or at the start of the battle. Before anything takes place, before any challenge is met by us, we need to realize we are fighting from victory. We need to realize that the battle is not ours to fight. The battle is the Lord's. We don't fight to win. We fight because we are already on the winning side. Do you see the difference? There's a big, big difference. God is in control. And we uncover that in this this reading. 
We've just talked about Joshua meeting the commander of the Lord's army, and and we'll get to who this figure is in, in just a second. But as he speaks to Joshua, there's three things going on in the background to this battle. Before the walls come down, before all the rest of it, there's three things going on. The first thing, the city of Jericho was afraid. Fear had gripped the enemy. Fear was, you read in in that first verse that the gates of Jericho were securely locked. This was unheard of, but it says because of the Israelites. This is the irony. A city like Jericho would have been one of the first things that the Israelites saw as they entered the promised land. Do you remember back to, there was the 12 spies who went in, Moses sent them in, and 10 of them say, there's giants there, there's big cities there, we, we've got no, no hope. And you think about this, they had not seen a city for 40 years. I mean, all they'd seen was sand, manna, quail, repeat. Sand, manna, quail. That's all they had seen for 40 years. And suddenly they see this, this walled city. Now, Jericho was not huge. This was not Nineveh. This was not Babylon. This was not even Jerusalem. This was a city probably about eight or ten city blocks. We're talking like the size of Parramatta Westfield or Parramatta Park or something like that. It's not enormous, but it did have two wall systems. It was very high. It says it was high on a hill, high on a mound. And so this was a city that looked at least impregnable. It looked like a fortress. But the irony was it was Jericho that was now fearing. It was the city that was afraid. They had heard of the exploits of Israel. They had heard that there's a God out there somewhere that dried up the Jordan River. There's a God who parted the Red Sea. There's a God that fed them from heaven for 40 years. I'd be terrified if that was me in that city. They knew that it was something they were well and truly up against. And church, when we are in God's will, when we are the center where God wants us, the enemy is afraid. The enemy fears God's people when we walk with him. Have you ever stopped and thought about the persecuted church and why why they suffer, why they face torture, why they face imprisonment? I believe it's because the powers that be are petrified. The enemy is petrified because the powers of darkness know that when the church gets serious, its days are numbered. The powers of darkness know that we have a greater power on our side. It's a direct threat to their existence. And so, brother, sister, I encourage you, if you're walking with the Lord this morning and you're facing opposition, I know it's not fun, but that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing. The enemy is afraid of you. The enemy is afraid of he who is inside you. And this is, this is why when we battle for the Lord, we fight from victory. The enemy knows it. The enemy knows it. It's not just fear going on here though. The second observation is that God's promise is sure and can be trusted. God promises on earth to Joshua. And it starts at the beginning. That's why I read from verse 13 in the last chapter because it's all this one encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. Who is this mysterious figure? Who is this guy? Joshua worships him. Many commentators, esteemed commentators, suggest that this is Jesus himself. This is the Lord appearing to Joshua. And by the way, he says something that immediately gets Joshua thinking. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Moses, no doubt, told him about Sinai. 
about that burning bush where he was dealing with God face to face. And now it's Joshua's turn. And he, it's all true. It's all true, everything I've heard. And as Joshua worships there, as Joshua's there in the presence of God, notice what God says. Despite the way the city looks, I have given it into your hands. I have given it over to you. If we're going to walk in victory, church, we just got to take Jesus at his word. We've just got to take it that God's promise is sure. God's word doesn't fail. It doesn't return to us void. And church, what greater promise is there than Jesus? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's got to be the foundation of where we fight our battles from. That's got to be where we place our feet when life is getting rough, when the storms are, are buffeting our lives. Yes, it's not fun at this moment, but Jesus has the victory. He promises. He promises. And then finally, we have a city in fear. We have the promise of God. And then God instructs His people. God says to Joshua, there's something you need to do. And you don't need to raise a sword. You don't even need to raise a sword. Jericho doesn't fall simply because of strong, you know, battle tactics. This is not the reason it fell. God is going before His people and instructing His people with perfect instruction. Nothing takes God by surprise. And Jesus lived this way as well. Do you notice whenever Jesus was talking to people, He'd ask them a question. He wasn't getting information. He did not know and needed to get the answer. It always says in the Word, He was asking to test them. He's asking them to te- for the test of their own heart and for them to see that God is the one who has the answer. And many of you will have heard the story from your childhood and we read it just before. God says to keep marching around the city, blow the trumpets, the walls will fall. That's it. By the way, do you notice how many sevens are in there? Seven days, seven laps, seven priests, seven trumpets. Now, if you've read your Bible, you'll know this is not a coincidence you'll know that seven appears again and again and again. Why? It's the number of completeness in God's economy. It's perfection. Anytime you see that, just think that God is ready to bring something to completion. God is ready to bring something in its fullness. It's not incomplete. That's not the way God works. So it's a reminder of us that God is going to bring about His purpose. There's nothing man can do and there's certainly nothing the enemy can do to change that. And so with this background, with all of this happening in these early verses in chapter 6, we see that God is giving us, giving God's people a platform of victory from which we fight our battles. When the rage, the storm is raging, when the challenges start. But sure, that's the start. There comes a point where we step into battle. There comes a point where it's like, okay, It's really on now. It's really raging. And as I said at the start, a battle must precede victory. The battle, it's it's just the way it works. We aren't overcomers until we have actually overcome something. And so when the storms hit, when the battle starts to rage, when it's looking hopeless, how are we to conduct ourselves? That's the really big question about this. How do we fight our battles as Christians? How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, the answer is during the course of battle, if we've stepped on that platform of victory, we overcome by faith. 
we overcome not by man's battle plan, but by faith, by complete and unreserved trust in God. Knowing that God brings about victory, not man, not the things that you think you can trust in this earth, but it's God for His way, His time, and for His purpose. Now, I find it interesting. We've just talked about the instruction. Joshua comes down off the mountain and goes back to the army. And he talks to the priests, and I think they would have been okay with it. They remember it was only weeks ago they stepped into the Jordan and the waters dried up. Priests are on board, I'm pretty sure. But then he goes to the generals. And he says, hey guys, this is what God said to do. We're going to do a lap of the city every day. But on the last day, we're going to do seven. And then we're going to blow the trumpets. We're going to shout for joy and the walls are going to come down. Joshua, what have you been drinking this morning? I mean, really? No swords? No battering rams? No siege machines? Can't we get a raged barbarian from somewhere? Any Clash of Clans fans? Yeah? Yeah? But Joshua replies with faith. He says, no, guys, we don't need any of that. God has said it. It's going to happen. It's utter trust. What, what do I mean by trust? He's, he's going past the point of no return. He is utterly committed to this process. What, what does that look like? What does it look like to have that kind of trust? Allow me to demonstrate. Russell, can I borrow you for a second? Have you ever played that trust game as a kid? where you sort of fall back stiff-legged and someone will catch you. Has anyone, has anyone not seen that? Okay, most have, but we'll do it anyway. It's a bit of fun. Can I just get you to hold this? Did you see his legs? He trusted me. He kept them straight. He went past the point of no return. That's what I'm talking about. God has you. God has our lives. We can trust Him. This is what faith is, past the point of no return. And I can't overemphasize this as well. It's faith and it's with the presence of God beside us. If you read, and we didn't get to read the rest of this passage, nine times the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned in this, in the orbits around the the city. The God has never left his people as they keep fighting this battle. I can't overstate it. When we follow God, when, when we are in his will, his presence is with us. And there's no way we can win the battle without God being on our side. There's just no way. There simply is no way. His presence is why we can see things through to completion, because he's with us. Now, you might be thinking, faith, faith, okay, yeah, I I get it, but isn't that blind? Isn't that, uh, you know, foolish in some way? Let me tell you this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. We know that in Hebrews. But let me tell you what it's not. Faith is not believing for lack of evidence. Faith is not us just believing blindly. We have evidence on our side. We have a history with God. We have a history in His Word. You have people all around you who can tell you God's stories, that what has God done in their lives. You may not see the future, but we know from the past that God has been faithful. We know every day of our lives, God is with us. We have every reason to trust Him. 
in my own life, I've seen it, even, even in my 34 years. Several years ago, some of you know this, some of you don't, I was out of work for about four months. We've all been there. We know how that feels. It's terrible. We had a three-year-old, Alicia. We had a five-month, sorry, we had a baby who was four months away from being born. And suddenly we're like, young family, mortgage to pay, young kids. Okay, where do we go from here? Now, I would love to tell you I was a bastion of faith. I wasn't. I wasn't at all. But let me tell you this. God was not faithless, faithless despite my inability to trust Him. God saw us through. And I'm telling you, right down to the last bill payment in our account. And then God opened another door. God doesn't leave us short. It may not be easy. I get that. I totally get that. But God is with you. God has carried you. And God will continue to carry you through this storm, whatever it is you're facing this morning. And now I look back on my life it sounds like I'm really old, doesn't it? But I look back on my life and I see time after time after time, God has not let me down. And God has not let you down if you're honest. You can see it in your life as well. God never, never starts a work He can't finish. God's not in the business of unfinished business. And so as this story unfolds, we know what happens. They march around the city. They do what God tells them to do. And what happens? The walls crumble. In fact, if you read in Hebrews, it says the walls came down by faith. It's by faith. It's by that trust in God. And as I said, this was Joshua was a brilliant military leader. The book is full of what he did. But this was not some brilliant tactic. This wasn't Operation Desert Storm. It was in the same location, more or less, but it wasn't Operation Desert Storm. This wasn't the Battle of Stalingrad. This was a miracle. This was God at work. Church, when we operate through faith, when we step back and put our trust in God, it makes way for God to move. So often we want to do it our way. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is just like, because he's a gentleman, he's sometimes like, will you just let me have my way? Will you just step back and trust me? Will you just let me intervene in that situation you can't see around? Will you trust me? Church, if God has instructed you and witnesses in your spirit, something's going to happen in his economy, in his kingdom. It's going to happen. You don't need to do anything. You just need to trust. You just need to have faith and you need to walk in obedience. That's all that's required of you. Faith in his victory and faith in his ability to actually deliver. And by God's grace, you withstand the attack of the enemy. You're vindicated, maybe at work or something. You're victorious in your battle. And you get to the other side. And you might ask, well, what now? Where, where do I go from here? Is that the end of it? Is it all finished now that I've conquered? Now that I've conquered that mountain, whatever it might be, is this the end? Is this all I worry about as a Christian? Church, if you forget anything else that I say, I want you to hear this next statement. If we are going to stand for Christ, we first must stand in Christ. It's not just us fighting the battle, but it's us being rooted, grounded, secure in Him, standing on victory, walking in faith, and then continuing after the battle. What does that look like? What happens next? After the battle, church, once God has been gracious to us and we've seen the victory, 
we need to give God the glory. We need to come in worship, in gratitude, in praise, and thank God. Andrew Boner was an author in about 150 years ago, I think it was. He said this amazing quote. He said that, let us be watchful, as watchful after the victory as we were before the battle. I'm going to come to this in a minute. Sometimes post-victory is the most difficult to handle. For years, for years, I, for those who don't know, I, I started out in my teens playing drums here. And um, my dad used to say to me almost at the end of every service, he'd say, son, no matter what you do, don't touch the glory. Do whatever else you want to do, but the glory is his. The victory is his. You and I will almost always benefit from what God is doing. But it's not our fame. It's not our glory. It's not for just me. It's for Him. It's for Him. The glory is due to His name. And I say that because we, as humans, have this amazing, incredible, awesome tendency to forget God at the end. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. We pray and we seek God. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. And then we're through and then it's just like back to back to Monday or whatever. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. I think of the butler in the story of Joseph. You familiar with that? Do you remember he was in jail and there was a butler from Pharaoh who was petrified. Pharaoh hates me. And he has this dream, this wild dream. And we know Joseph, he's getting pretty good at this by now, interpreting dreams. And he says, no, 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 no. You're going to be in jail for a few more days and then you're going to be restored to your position. And the butler suddenly has peace of mind. And sure enough, Joseph's spot on because God's with him. He's spot on. And the butler is so thankful that he's got peace of mind and that he's safe that he forgets poor old Joseph for the next decade. He does. You read the story. And how often do we do this to God? We're so grateful that God's got us out and we forget to thank him. We forget to worship him. We forget to give him the credit for actually doing the rescuing in the first place. Church, let us not rob God. Let us not rob God of the worship that He is owed. We need to continue to praise Him, worship Him, seek Him post-deliverance. The other thing about worship is, worship is not just this, what we've done this morning. And I love that. I'm all about that. But it's also about obedience. Worship should be taking us to a deeper obedience with Jesus and deeper faith in Jesus. I notice here, in fact, sorry, before I get there, Jesus, didn't he say that he who loves me, or if you like, he who is a worshipper of me, obeys my teaching? It's not just lip service. It's service. It's whatever it might be, whatever God calls you to do. We do it because we love him, because he's worthy of it all. And in this passage, God gives three commands to Joshua. Now, I'm going to tackle them in reverse order because I want to finish with the first one. But there's three commands to Joshua. The first one is to destroy the city and its people. And again, I mean, this whole battle thing's not real good for us. We're thinking, gee, that is barbaric. What is that about? The reason God said that is because the people of Canaan were a wicked people. The people in the promised land before Israel got there were not following him. 
and they'd had umpteen opportunities to return to God. God had been gracious all this time and they said no. And the final image of a smoldering city up in ruins should be in our mind's eye, church. This is the result of not obeying Jesus. There is time and there is mercy now, but one day that day is going to close. One day there is going to be judgment upon sin. And brother, sister, that message hasn't changed. Do not be found in his wrath. I plead with you, don't mess about with sin. And so we are, and we are to destroy that in our lives, just as Joshua has been told here. So he says, destroy the city. And then the second one, this is the third one. The second one is to rescue Rahab and her family. Now Rahab, if you're familiar, she was a prostitute and she was a Gentile. Unclean, unclean as you can get in Jewish law. But what did she do? We know the story. She showed favor to God's people. She hid those spies and they promised we will rescue you. And if you follow the story through, Rahab not only is saved at that point, she ends up in Israel's camp. She marries a guy and they have a child called Boaz. And to cut a long story short, Rahab ends up in the very lineage of Jesus. Just does that blow your mind? Isn't God in the business of taking sinners from every nation on the planet and bringing them into the family of God? Isn't that God's heart? We see it so clearly here. That is the heart of God. And so he says there, yes, I have found one in that city. Bring her out and and her family. And now the first command that he said, the first command was to devote the city to God. This was unique. Because in all the other battles that Israel fought, God says this, this, this. And at the end, he says, you can take the plunder. You can take the silver and gold, whatever it is. But Jericho was different. God said, devote the city to me. Bring the silver and the gold into the treasury. This is mine. Why would he say that? I think there's two reasons. We're drawing near to the end. Just hang with me. The first reason I believe is this. As I just mentioned, we're talking about a wicked, wicked people. We're talking about an idolatrous people. And God's freshly redeemed generation, 40 years in the wilderness, hey guys, ready to come in the promised land. He doesn't need them tarnished and defiled and corrupted with idolatry. I mean, come on. He's just set them free. He's establishing a people for himself. He says, you cannot look to that. You need to look to me. But the tragedy is, you flick over the page, chapter 7, verse 1. This is heartbreaking. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. And the tale of the tape is, they get crushed at eye in their next battle because they took their eyes off the Lord. The very thing God said don't do, they did. One man did in actual fact, just one man. And church, this is a, a sobering thought. We are most vulnerable after victory. You might not think so. You think you're vulnerable in the battle. Oh, no, no, no. You are vulnerable after victory because that's when arrogance starts to come in. That's when the forgetting God stuff starts to come in. That's when the idolatry can creep in. And an idol doesn't have to be a little statue either, by the way. We must never let deliverance become a distraction from the deliverer. We cannot afford for the acts of God and the gifts of God to be more 
precious to us than the giver, than God himself. We can't do it. That's the first reason. The second reason was that Jericho was the first obstacle. And if you like, it was like the first fruits of the land. Now, first fruits, if you know your Bible, you've heard that before. This was a farming analogy. And the first fruits, what God was saying was, when you sow your crop from your first harvest, you need to give some of that to me. It's an offering to me. And Jericho was like that. It was an offering to God. Why is that important? Because in those days, and ask any farmer today, it's the same. You don't know if you're going to get a second harvest that season. God says, give to me first. The smart man, he says, no, 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 I'll take what I need and then I'll give to God. And you can do that. But is that what God wants? I don't know if you've got the message. So much of this, so much of what has happened in this entire service has been about faith and about trust. Have you picked up on that? It is trust in God. It is trust in God. And I'm not just talking financial giving. Everyone gets scared when they talk about money. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about your loved ones. I'm talking about your career. I'm talking about all the things that you're holding dear. Treasure them? Yeah, sure. But treasure God first. Like Abraham and Isaac, I'd be willing to give that up, God, if that's what it costs. If that's what it means, I'll be willing to give that up. So as we close this morning, church, I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you. Hang in there with Jesus. Keep trusting Him. I know you might not be able to see around you at the moment. The battle might be too severe. The storm might just seem too great. But can I plead with you? Dig deep into God. Dig deep. Press into that foundation of victory. Press into prayer. Seek Him by faith because He's going to deliver. This is not your tomorrow. This is your today. There's a battle you need to fight, but you don't fight it by human means. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We fight with God on our side. We fight through faith. We fight because we fight through this Word. We fight through prayer. And we serve a God. We serve the Lion of Judah. How does the song go? He's roaring with power and He's fighting our battles. You know it. I know you know it. We just need to live it. We just need to trust Him. So church, can we pray? And then we'll we'll dismiss. Father, this morning we thank You for Your love and Your grace. We thank You that You are a God who can be trusted. We thank You, Lord, that You catch us when we submit to You and we go past that point of no return. There's no turning back. I'm going to follow Jesus. Lord, when we come to You with that attitude, You honour that. Lord, You speak to us with love. You encourage us along the way. Father, I want to lift anyone up in this place who is facing difficulties, facing challenges, Lord God. Lord, I ask that You would allow them to dig deep into the foundation of their souls, Lord God. I ask that You would allow them by Your Spirit to see You more clearly. Lord, to operate in faith, not to be blinded faith, Lord, but because You have gone before every single time. Lord, because You have shown us through history, You have shown us through the Word, You have shown us through our very lives that You are a God who can be trusted. You are a God who loves Your people. You are a God who has our best at heart. And You're a God who deserves every bit of the glory. You're a God who deserves every bit of the worship. 
Father, we submit on this altar to you this morning, Lord God. Lord, have your way in our hearts, Lord God. Let us see Jesus more clearly, whether the sun is shining or whether it's the worst storm we've faced in our lives. Lord, may we see you more clearly. May we see you, Lord, as the commander of the Lord's army who is fighting our battles. Because Lord, you are the greatest. There is no one like you, as we have sung. There is no one like you, Jesus. Lord, we give you all of the glory. Help us in all things to give you the glory at all times. We love you. We love you, Lord. Jesus. Amen. Amen. I just invite Luke to sing. If you want prayer, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you.